Well, what's up guys? Welcome to Young Adults. We're glad that you guys are here tonight. How many of you are at the time of year, uh, whether it's in school or at your job, where you're just like, okay, I got a lot of stuff going on, uh, and, and maybe, you're, uh, maybe tests are hitting. I feel like the fall is a busy time, whether you're in business, uh, post-school, whatever it may be. I think everybody just take like a, a deep breath and we're all gonna be okay, all right? It's gonna be all right. And uh, we got a lot to look forward to this fall, and we're glad that you guys are here and uh, spending Tuesday night with us. And so um, we just got done with a series called What's Really Going On, where we talked about um, really emotion and uh, what's behind that, how we apply the truth of God's word to what's going on in our lives. And tonight we just have a message uh, that, that is just titled, God is for you. And uh, I think that that's something we need to hear is that God is for us. There is a God in heaven, he is for us, and, but we need to know, like, how can we be sure of that? How can we be sure that that is the case? And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 tonight, and we're going to be in verses 8 through 10. That is where we'll be for most of the night tonight. And so I want to start off just by reading this passage, and then we're going to jump into it and talk about it. So Romans 5, 8 to 10, it says this. It says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So be saved by his life, okay? And I, I love this passage and, um, you know, I, I think a, 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 like kind of a way to describe this, a relational word picture when we look at what's going on here is last week um, at my house, I'm gonna give you this example because I think it helps to make a sense of who God is in this equation and who we are. Last week at my house in my backyard, um, somebody broke into my shed in my backyard, okay? And I came out uh, the next morning and I realized that my gas can was out of the, out of the shed. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, I know my wife wasn't mowing the yard while I was gone, so something's going on here. So I went and checked and like someone had rummaged through my stuff. I don't keep anything in it. But someone like that, that bothered me because someone had been on my property. Someone had, uh, you know, wronged me and that they were trying to take what was not theirs. They had wronged me and the fact that I felt like they had wronged my family uh, and that, uh, you know, they were, they were on our property. Like, I have kids and I don't like that. And so uh, I think that is an example of like, I've never met whoever broke into my shed. I've probably never talked to them, never done anything wrong to them. I've not done anything to those people, but yet they wronged me. And when we look at that kind of relational picture, if you'll keep that in mind, that is similar, if not the exact same, as how we have been with God. That we have sinned and we have fallen short of the standard that he, he has, and we've actually wronged God. We've actually sinned against him. And so when we go into this picture, like this, this passage with that in mind, like that's kind of where we are relationally with God before we enter into a relationship with him. And verse eight, it says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? In the same way that in the, the picture I just painted, like those people wronged me, right? Uh, I didn't do anything to deserve that. God didn't do anything for us to, we, there's no reason we should be, have sinned against God, but we have. And so because of that, like that puts us at a deficit with God. But God loves us so much in spite of that, he sent his son to die on a cross for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's a big deal, and here's why. Because 
It's a big deal because if we have a, like, this is the deal, is at your worst, you picture yourself at your worst, at your very worst, God loved you in that moment. At your very, very worst, God loved you in that moment. And if you just take Romans 5, 8 and apply that to your life, there's no cleaning up yourself before you come to God. There's no, I have to get this right in my life before I can turn to God. He's saying, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were in the wrong, while you were a sinner. You know, one time I I worked with a guy, he would tell me all the time, like, if I walked into church, the walls would fall down, like the building would collapse. And that broke my heart, right? Because he had a misunderstanding. The church is bigger than just a building, number one. But number two, he had a misunderstanding of the way God saw him. He thought because of his past, because of his mistakes, that he was unworthy. But what he needed to know is Romans 5, 8 says that, hey, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you in that. Man, that's a truth that like, just right off the bat, should give us peace and should give us comfort. But what I love about this passage is it's, it's much more than that, right? And I love this passage because it so much shows us what Jesus did for us on the cross and how God views us. There's so much like richness in that. And the great thing about like walking with Jesus is you can never like understand that enough. You can never study it enough because the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you set your mind on it, the better it should become. And so that's what we're gonna do. I wanna spend a lot of time in verses nine uh, and and 10 tonight. And I wanna go ahead and read that again uh, uh, with you all before we break it down. In verse nine, it says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Okay, and so I wanna take a time out here, and before we break it down any further, I wanna talk about a word that is found in this passage, and that word is saved, all right? In the original Koine Greek, right, the original common Greek that the New Testament was written in, this word was sozo, okay? Sozo, meaning that, uh, you know, we often talk about salvation as a point in time when you entered into a relationship with Jesus, and that's true. So for me, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old in the year 2000, dating myself a little bit, okay? But in, in the year 2000, on Easter Sunday, I accepted Christ. I heard about what Jesus had come to the earth to do, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, and that he died a death he didn't deserve on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose three days later. I heard that, and I knew that I had a sin debt. I knew that I was guilty. I knew that I had that in my life. That was the point where I accepted Christ, and I entered into a relationship with him. I wanted to make him Lord of my life, and I've been following him since then. All right, that is salvation, right? This word sozo, salvation, it's referring to that, but also in the New Testament, when we see this word, like right here, Paul's saying, hey, how much more is your salvation worth, right? How much more is your salvation? What he's saying is, at the, it's like not just the point in time you were saved, 
But on top of that, it's like at the end of your life, whenever you, get, you stand before God and you give an account of what's gone on or the final day of judgment, right? We will all be judged by God in the end. You are going to be saved. How much more, right? What he's saying, if Jesus' death on the cross Okay, if Jesus' death on the cross was powerful enough to save you, how much more will his life keep you? If Jesus' death on the cross was powerful enough to save you while you were still a sinner, right? How much more is his life going to keep you? Because the thing was, when Jesus was killed on that cross and he was buried in a tomb, he rose Jesus is still alive. When you hear like at Easter time, like he has risen, he's alive. Jesus is still alive. And I kid you not, this morning, my daughter asked me as I was taking her to preschool, she, we, we have these conversations and we pray. And she goes, dad, where is Jesus now? Like she's like, dad, where's Jesus now? She's almost four. And uh, I was like, man, God, this is like too funny. Like I'm talking about this tonight. I was like, this is crazy. And I'm like, Jesus is in heaven seated at the right hand of God, interceding and advocating on our behalf. I told that to my three-year-old daughter. She had no idea what was happening. But I said, he's interceding and advocating on our behalf. And what that means is that Jesus right now is alive and has an interest in your life. In heaven, he's with God. Has an interest in your life, actively interested in your life right now. And so if in his death he had the power to save us, how much more will his life keep us, right? That's what Paul is referencing here in verses 9 and 10. How much more will his life keep us? How much more will his life keep us? And that is something that I would just challenge you in in the week to come of just, y'all ever got to that state where, I've certainly been there. You ever felt um, just a little spiritually dead? Maybe you felt um, just like, man, God, I'm just not connecting with you right now. I feel like I've been in those seasons and when I'm in those seasons, you've gotta rely on the truth of God's word over your feelings. And as I've thought about that this week that Jesus is still alive, sitting at the right hand of God, like interceding on my behalf, that God is up in heaven, not like not knowing, like God knows what's going on in my life. Like as I sit and I meditate on that, as I remove distraction and I think about that, that encourages me. And I would challenge you, if you're in a season where you're like going through some doubting, you're going through some struggle, maybe, maybe you've been following God for a while, but you're in this season right now, you're like, I don't know, things are tough right now. Would you take some time, set aside some specific time in your schedule to sit and meditate on that fact, to read through Romans 5, 8 through 10, and to think about that? I believe that when you do that, God is going to show up in your life, right? I really do believe that. The same thing has happened for me where I sit and I think about that. I'm like, man, God, you are still good. Like, Jesus, you still are alive. You're active in my life today. And I love in verse nine and 10 is that they're kind of parallel thoughts, all right? And I'll give it to you in Romans, sometimes the way Paul uh, has written, it, it doesn't, it, it, sometimes it feels a little choppy, right? And I think we have to sit in it a little bit. And I, I've actually grown to like that about God's word. Sometimes I like when I don't just like read it, like got it, man. I, I like to dive into it and see, okay, like what, what's going on here? Well, verses nine and 10 are kind of like parallel thoughts. And there's two really important words that we see in verse nine and in verse 10. And in verse nine, one of the words that we see is justification. And I love that Jared always says justification, what it means to be justified with God is that you were made just 
the way you were before you ever sinned, right? Just the way you were before you ever sinned. So to be justified to God, we already talked about it, right? That, uh, you know, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need to be back with God, right? We need to be um, back with God, to reconnected with him. We need to be uh, restored to him, right? And what that happens is that comes through justification. And what justification is, is it's really this idea that you're righteous, you're made as you, you ought to be, okay? That you're, you're made as you ought to be, that really what it is at the core is that you're declared innocent, that you're declared innocent. And when we look at the word justification, I want you to think of it in the sense of like a judicial term. If you were to go and you were to see a court case play out, right, or you were watching Judge Judy or whatever, okay, if you were to see someone to be declared innocent, that has like a judicial standing in its place, right? So this is why it's important because justification in verse 9 and reconciliation in verse 10, these are two different terms. They have similar meetings, but they're different. And the reason we need to understand them is because it adds to the richness of what Jesus has done for us. And so it's uh, Romans 3, 23 through 24. They had it on the screen already. I'm gonna read it. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And all are justified freely by his grace that came through redemption that came from Christ Jesus. It's Jesus who shedding his blood upon the cross served as a payment for our sins. What we had, judicially speaking, is we had a sin debt that we could not pay. It's literally impossible for you to pay your sin debt on your own. But Jesus' work on the cross His shed blood on the cross, his sacrifice for us is what allows us to be justified in the sight of God. It's it's what allows us to be righteous, to be made right in God's sight. It's what makes us into who we ought to be. That's what justification is. And when we look at moving on into, um, you know, verse 10, and we see this word reconciliation, it says, for if while we were enemies... Right, We were once enemies against God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved from his life. And so reconciliation, what this is talking about, may, it's not a term that we use a, a whole lot in our, in our everyday language right now. Maybe you do, I don't. But when we see this word reconciliation, relationally speaking, like justification is judicial, right? Reconciliation is relational. That what Jesus did on the cross allowed us to be restored relationally. Like harmony was brought back, we were restored to God. This is what happened when Jesus died on the cross, is that our relationship was restored. Another way you could say that is the hostility was removed from our relationship with God. And that hostility was brought on by our own sin, not by anything God had done. I mean, I think back to the the story I told you about the people breaking into my shed or the person. It's like, if I were to ever meet them, they were the ones who brought hostility into that relationship, not me. Well, it's the same with God. Our sin brought hostility into that relationship. But this is how you know God is for you, because he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, and it's through his death that you are reconciled to God. You can have harmony with God. You can have relationship 
with God. And I, 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 as I was preparing for this, I read this and this really stuck out to me. And just this idea of like, it is very important that you individually turn to God at some point in your life. Like that is the, the most important thing you could do in your life. But more important than that is the fact that God has already turned towards you. Before you ever turn to him, before you've ever thought about turning to him, God is already looking at you. He made the first move, even though he didn't, make it, he didn't wrong you in any way, he didn't bring the hostility in, God turned and he chose to look at every single one of us first. And in order for reconciliation to take place, all we have to do is admit that we are sinful people and make Jesus the Lord of our life, thus restoring us in this relationship with God. It's so important that, 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 how do you know God is for you? You know God is for you because he looked to you first. As important as it is that you turn and look at God in your life, what's even more important is that he chose to look at you first. Why? He created you. He loves you. He, he longs for a relationship with you. Now, here's the deal. Like, I don't know if you grew up in a household where your parents balanced a checkbook any checkbook parents out there, right? Does anyone in this crowd balance their checkbook? Do people still do that? Maybe you do. Shout out to you if you do. I don't know how to do it, all right? I'm 31. I don't know how to balance a checkbook. I don't do it, okay? Because you got the app, you got everything. But basically, what balancing your checkbook is, is that's reconciling what's going on with your finances, okay? Balancing your checkbook is comparing what you believe you've spent with what the bank has said you have spent. Okay, and so imagine if you were balancing your checkbook and you said, this doesn't add up to what's in my account. More than likely, you probably made a mistake and not the bank, but sometimes that happens. And it's like, okay, there has to be reconciliation to take place. And in order for reconciliation to occur, change has to happen. Either you have to change your ledger and, and you, what you've got, or the bank has to change what they've got. Change has to occur for reconciliation to take place. Here's the thing. We're the ones who need the change in our relationship with God. God, doesn't, God didn't do anything wrong towards us. He's not the one who created the hostility. We're the ones who need the change. And God offers that to every single one of us through what Jesus has done on the cross because we can't do it on our own. And so anytime reconciliation occurs, there has to be change taking place. There has to be change taking place. So looking back at it, we've been justified by what Jesus did on the cross, right? We've been made righteous. We've been reconciled. We've been restored into relationship with Jesus. We know that even while we were sinners and we were enemies of the cross, that God still chose to love us by sending his son for us, okay? What does that do? Like, how, how does that play out, okay? Number one, it, it means that we need to turn to God. That's the most important piece of this message is that if you've never turned to God, you need to turn to God tonight, right now. In this place, if you're watching online, you need to turn to God. And then what else should it do for us? What's the application of what's going on here? Well, because of what Jesus has done for us, it should put us on a mission, it should put us on a mission in our lives. I love 2 Corinthians 5.18, and it says this. It says, all this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is not a word, that is not like a sentence that you would say, like probably uh, to your friend. It's like, yeah, the ministry of reconciliation. But we do. If you are a follower of Christ in here, we have the ministry of reconciliation as well. What does that mean? It means that when God saved you, he put you on mission to share his hope with other people. And as you're on your campus, as you're at your place of work, as you're in your program, whatever it is that you do, there are people around you who God has placed around you for a very specific purpose that you can be the beacon of hope for them. You know, our, our theme for conference this year is 1 Peter 2.9. If you're wondering why we call it chosen, because it says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And in the end of this verse in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There are people around you who are in darkness, who are hurting, broken, in pain. And I think one of the things I've been amazed at and reminded of this semester is as I've been out and talking with people um, and, and talking with guys, whether it be on campus or somewhere else, is like, man, people are searching for something that is of sustenance, value, and worth and gives purpose to their lives. And what they need to know is that there is a God in heaven who sent his son, even though they're a sinful person, so that he could have a relationship with him. So when we understand this properly, when we understand that we've been reconciled to God because he looked at us first, right? And we turn to him, that should then put us on mission to share that same message with the people around us. What else should it do? And uh, I wanna read right here Romans chapter eight, uh, verses 31 through 39. And I'm gonna read it slow because I just like, it's almost amazing how well this passage right here summarizes what we've just talked about. It says this, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know why God is for you? Because God is for you because it doesn't matter what your medical diagnosis is. It doesn't matter what your relationship status is. It doesn't matter what happened to you when you were a kid. It doesn't matter what mistakes that you've made in the past. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that's how you know that God is for you, that nothing can separate you from his love. That you don't have to be on pins and needles and wondering, like, is God for me? Does he love me? Does he care about me? 
Is he okay with me? God loves you and he is for you. And when you enter into a relationship with him, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. And if you're in here and you're doubting and you're in that season that we talked about earlier, preach that to yourself. You, you, you need to preach that to yourself every day. You need to look into the mirror and say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. God is for you. God is for you. And I think when we hear these stories, you know, I, I, I sometimes, I've been in church a long time, right? Um, and I think sometimes I get a little numb to the gospel and it's like, goodness, Now, let me tell you, diving into the word of God is what's gonna help that in your personal walk. If your daily disciplines, like if you're never reading God's word on your own, you can't expect to be growing a whole lot. You gotta get into the word. You gotta be around community. That's why we push groups so hard. That's why we talk about being in community because you need other people who are like-minded with you, pushing you towards the love of God. But man, sometimes like I, I get a little accustomed to it and there's certain stories that remind me just what, like how good the forgiveness of God is. And I wanna tell you the story of Gracia and Martin Burnham, okay? Gracia and Martin Burnham. Now, Martin Burnham was a man who was a, a New Tribes missionary, okay? And what he was is he was an aviation missionary. And what that means is that he would go into remote locations and he would drop off supplies to missionaries or he would fly missionaries, people who were going and trying to share the message of the gospel. He would try and fly them into places that were remote. I mean, that's, that was his full-time job. And so Gracia and Martin Burnham, this is what they did. They had three kids and uh, as they had their children, um, eventually they went on an anniversary trip in a, in a location where they were serving. So they went to kind of a, Gracia and Martin, they withdrew and went on an anniversary trip. Uh, and what happened as they went to kind of this remote resort, if you will, as they, they went to this place, there was a terrorist group called the Abu Sayyaf. The Abu Sayyaf, this terrorist group, essentially invaded the resort that they were staying at and began knocking on doors in the middle of the night And so Martin and Gracia got up and they got dressed. And the Abu Sayyaf saw that they were Americans and decided to kidnap them. And they kidnapped some others that were there as well. And they took them and for over a year, they marched them around from place to place in the middle of the forest, in the jungle. And they marched them from from place to place I mean, for me, being the parent of two, I could not imagine being separated from my children and being in that situation, being a hostage. And uh, you know, what's, what's crazy is that in the midst of that, what Martin said to his wife was, these are the people we're called to right now. They're captors, right? The people that were hostile towards them. You talk about an enemy. He's like, these are the people that we are called to right now to share a message of hope. And that was his perspective. 
Well, they weren't released from this captivity that they were in and actually eventually the military intervened and there was an an armed uh, raid on really what was happening. And so as the military began to approach the Abu Sayyaf, they began shooting and killing the prisoners. And so as this was happening, Martin was shot and then Gratia was shot as well. And they rolled down a hill and Gracia landed and she realized that when her husband landed next to her, that he had been fatally shot and killed. And by some miracle, Gracia was rescued by the military and saved. And she had surgery and she went on to live and was reunited with her children. And uh, I talk in this story with our, our lead pastor, Eddie Lyons, Pastor Eddie, um, because she's actually been to High Street before, Gracia has. And he said that uh, they invited her to come and to share and to speak. And Pastor Eddie said as he sat across the dinner table with Gracia and, and heard the stories after dinner, after they ate one night um, with some other people, that he just went up to her and said, Gracia, I'm so sorry for what you've been through. I'm so sorry that Martin's not here with you. And he said that, He's like, this is what stuck out to me. Is she just pointed to this guy and she said, he is worthy. To her, God was worthy in the midst of this situation. And because they viewed this as their mission field, some of those young men who were their captors, young, young, young men, probably, who knows, maybe they were forced into it. Who knows what their situation was. Some of these men later on accepted Christ after they were arrested. And she was able to say, God is worthy. And that type of forgiveness is the gospel. You can't forgive that way unless you've been forgiven that way. And so when I hear that story, it reminds me of how good God has been to us, that while I was still a sinner, Christ died on the cross for me. God sent his son for me while I was a still sinner, still a sinner. Here's what I know about y'all. Y'all got heavy stuff. You got things that you carry. You got weight. God came for all of that. He came for you in your worst moment. And my question to you is, have you ever turned to him? Let's pray.